0: I love that song. What a great song to, to sing in all our services today, even up at the sunrise service where there was no sun to be seen <laughs> with all the clouds and the freezing cold wind, and then in all the services, in the worship center, both of them in here this morning, uh, man, a great song to sing and celebrate. Well, grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28, and as you're turning there, let me, let me ask you to think about this. Now, I know this is a hard question, so you just kind of have to think about it best you can. What is the greatest love that you have known in your life? And I, I know that's a big question, So you just, and there's probably going to be several possible answers that pop into your head. What is the greatest love that you've known in your life? And let me put with that to kind of help you, what's the greatest act of love someone has ever done for you? When I think about my life, I mean, I can think of a lot of things, but, but a couple of things that, that, that rise to the top. One is just thinking about my mom raising me. My mom uh, was a single mom, raised me and my sister, and, and made all kinds of sacrifices. And like kids often do, I didn't recognize or appreciate a lot of it as it was, as it was happening. Right? But as I look back at my childhood now and see how my mom sacrificed and things she did, I think, man, that was just an incredible act of love, lots of acts of love from my mom. And then the other thing that comes to my mind is my wife Amy right over here. That's, we've been married this June. It'll be 27 years. Can you believe anybody would put up with me for 27 years and I, and I think about that day we stood in Cherry Valley, Arkansas, in the church she grew up in with all our friends and family, and she took this commitment to me and has stuck with it. I mean, she's a saint, right? She's put up with me and, and, and uh, lots of things, including endless just flowing trivia and history coming out of my mouth that bores her to tears, and yet she's stuck with it. So, you know, I'm sure all of us can think of different acts of love, but, but I want to read to you a verse we read a few weeks ago uh, as we wa- worked our way through the Gospel of John. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus said, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's what Jesus did for us. The greatest love that any of us could ever know is the love of God through Christ Jesus, how he lived and died and rose again to save us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us. This is how he showed us how much he loves us. He demonstrated his love for us in, that, uh, in sending Christ Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act or get, or get ourselves together. He, while we were rebelling and sinning, he sent Jesus to die for us. And the reason he died for us is made clear in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So I want you just to let this sink in for a minute. God loves you and I so much that even while we were still sinning and rebelling against him, he sent Jesus to live a perfect life we could never live, to die in our place, to take the judgment and wrath that we deserve for sinning against that holy and righteous and eternal God, and then raised him up from the dead, which is what we're celebrating today. He did all of this to rescue us from eternal death and give us eternal life so that we could be forgiven of our sins and made right with God and have a relationship with him. So last week, if you were here, we took the Lord's Supper and we really reflected on the things I've just shared. I just wanted to bring that back to your attention for a minute to think about the love shown for us through Jesus' life and his death. But today, we celebrate his resurrection. Jesus died for us, but praise the Lord, he did not stay in the grave. He rose from the dead, and he's alive today. And what I want us to talk about this morning is, or to think about is what difference does that make? What difference does it make that Jesus is alive and well today? Because I'll tell you, it makes a big, big difference. So we're going to read Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to talk about the difference it makes that Jesus is alive today. Beginning in verse 1, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. And what an incredible story. You and I have heard it all our lives, or most of us have, and so sometimes we, we fail to really appreciate the the incredible nature of this story. Imagine being those women on the way to the tomb that morning. They had seen Jesus, who they loved so much, who they were so close to, they had seen him tortured. They'd seen him killed. He'd been in the tomb for three days, and and now they're going to the tomb, and he's not there. And they find out he's still alive. Now, for those of us who have maybe been Christians for a long time, and we believe and trust the Bible as we should— we read this and we're like, man, yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, this is what I've heard my whole life. It's true. But I want to just pause for just a moment because I, I, I bet there are some people here you think, man, that's, that's a crazy story, <laughs> someone coming back from the dead. That's an incredible story. Why should I believe that? And, and I'll tell you, there's, there's so much evidence for Jesus' resurrection. I can just barely touch on it this morning. A lot of people have said, scholars have said that there's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than that Julius Caesar ever even lived. That's how much evidence there is. But I want to just touch on a few. And again, understanding that most of us here believe the Bible, we believe this resurrection story, but, but there could be some people who struggle to believe this. And I just want to give you just a few examples of some of the evidence for his resurrection. One is this. If you lived in this day and you're his disciples, and you're making, you, you wanted to make up a story to get people to believe he'd risen from the dead, you know what you would not do? you would never make the first witnesses be women. Now, why is that? Today, that'd be no problem, right? Women are, are equal with men. In this culture, they were not. In fact, women's testimony did not count in court. So you would, if you were making up a story to try to get the whole world to believe this incredible story, you would never start by having the first witnesses be women. And let me give you another reason that we can believe this story. Another reason is if, if you were making up the story and you're going to r- write it down in four different what we call gospel accounts, you'd make the stories match perfectly, right? You'd get together, you'd say, okay, this is what happened and we're going to all stick to the same story. Some of us growing up, you got in trouble at school and you all got with your friends, you got your story straight, right? Before you were in the principal's office, am I the only one who had experience with that? You all, you get your story straight, you, you stick to it, right? That's what we would have seen. But what you see when you read the four gospel accounts of the resurrection is different accounts from different perspectives that sometimes almost seem to contradict themselves until you, or contradict each other until you dig a little deeper. And when you dig a little deeper, what you see is, is what uh, scholars say is some of the strongest evidence that it's true. J. Warner Wallace, one of the top cold case detectives in the United States, a detective in California, um, he became a Christian in his mid-30s. After investigating the resurrection evidence, and one of the things that really stood out to him was how the four Gospels tell his resurrection story accounts from four different perspectives. He said, that's exactly what I look for as an investigator. He said, if I go to the scene of a crime, say it's a bank robbery, and, and, and all the witnesses' stories match perfectly, and they mention the, all seeing the same things, I know they've talked to each other before they've talked to me. They've corroborated. They've gotten together and got their story straight. So what you see when it's true eyewitness testimony is someone robs a bank and, and a lady might notice the color of the shirt of the bank robber, right? And then a man who was there doesn't remember what color of shirt it was at all, but he can tell you the model of the gun the guy had or the, tr- or the kind of truck he drove away in. Everybody notices different things, and they emphasize different things. And he says, "When I read the four gospel accounts, I found exactly what I looked for as an investigator, again being one of the top cold case detectives in the United States, and it led him to become a believer. Let me give you one more. If you were going to make up a story, you wouldn't die for it, right? Some of us might stick to a lie for a while if it was gaining us something in this world, if it was making us wealthy or respected. The disciples, what they received for telling people Jesus had risen from the dead was being persecuted and tortured and ultimately killed. If I got together with some guys and said, hey, let's make up this story, and, and, it'll, and it'll, we'll, we'll benefit from it, and then it goes horribly wrong, and now we're being persecuted and tortured, and we're going to be killed, you know what I'd do? i say, you know what, We made it all up. But they went to their death, saying, we saw Jesus alive. And in 1 Corinthians 15, one of the earliest passages we have as far as date-wise and the whole New Testament, very, very soon after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes and says, hey, he's writing to people right then. It says over 500 people saw him alive, and most of them are still alive today. You can go talk to them. So this isn't legend. It's not made up. I just want to encourage you, we have good reason to believe he's alive. And now I want to take a few minutes to talk about the difference that makes. I want to list a few things, and then we'll go back to Matthew 28 and talk about how to respond Because the resurrection is true, it means some incredible things for those of us who believe. And let me just list a few here. First of all, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God. In Romans 1.4, it says, He was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it authenticated his identity. His whole life, or, or his, his really the three years of his ministry, he was proclaiming to people, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God. It's this incredible claim, and he authenticated it, or God authenticated it when he raised him from the dead. You know, a few years ago, um, we went to Guatemala on a mission trip. And what I had to do, I had to go get a passport, right? A lot of you have had that process. So to get a passport, I took this birth certificate I'd gotten from my mom, and I went and tried to get my passport. And you know what they told me? They said, this isn't even a real birth certificate. It's like some kind of uh, copy that the hospital gave your mom years ago, and this is not going to work. It wasn't good enough to prove to them who I was. So I had to send off and get the official document with the right seal from the right county and the right state and all that kind of stuff to prove who I was. Some of you have had that experience. Jesus rising from the dead was one of God's ways of saying he's really the son of God. He's really the Messiah. He's really defeated death. So you and I can know that for sure. And then also the, the resurrection guarantees, the next thing, the resurrection guarantees the believer's forgiveness of sins. Romans 4.25 says he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised alive to make us right with God. Think about this. I, I don't know. If we really think about this enough, if Jesus hadn't died for our sins, we we wouldn't be forgiven. A lot of us can acknowledge that. We've got that in our minds. But but what this verse is telling us, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we wouldn't be sure that we are forgiven. Because we wouldn't be sure he was really the Messiah if he didn't come back from the dead. We wouldn't really be sure everything he said was true. Going back to the first point, we wouldn't have his identity authenticated. One of the reasons we celebrate the resurrection is because it proves that those of us who believe are really forgiven of our sins. The other day, a, a week or two ago, Uh, We sold a car that we had, and it was not it was an older car. It wasn't worth a whole lot of money, but the guy who bought it paid cash. And so I had this stack of $100 bills that I don't – that's way too big, more like that. But I had this stack of $100 bills, and it wasn't a ton of money by a lot of people's standards, but it's more than I usually carry, and it's more than I usually put in the bank. So when I took it to the bank, they counted it, and they gave me a little receipt. But you know what I did when I went out to the car? I wanted to be sure it was in there. And I knew they'd counted it, and I knew they'd give me this little tiny piece of paper that said how much it was. But the first thing I did before I even left the bank parking lot is I opened my banking app, and I opened that account, and I wanted to see that number matching what was on my piece of paper. I wanted proof that that was paid into my account. You and I want proof that Jesus is really the Messiah and that our sins are really forgiven, that we don't have to work our way to heaven. And God proved that when he raised Jesus from the dead, proved that our sins are forgiven when we believe. The third thing is the resurrection guarantees the believer's future resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Paul's saying here, listen, if if, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then all this Christian stuff is just a waste of time. <laughs> and he goes on in the next verse, 19, he says, And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. You know what he's saying there? He's saying because Jesus rose from the dead, those of us who believe in him, we will rise also. Because he rose from the dead, death is not the end. Is that important to you? If it's not, it will be. When you get that diagnosis, when you go to that funeral, you know, I know that we have kind of a younger age group in here than, than a lot of churches and some of our other services even, and I don't know how much you guys are around death, but being a minister, being a pastor, I'm around it a lot. And I can tell you we're the only hope, The only hope when you're facing death or the death of a loved one is Jesus and his resurrection and the assurance that those who believe in him will live again. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It makes all the difference in the world. So today, because of the resurrection, we have this hope and this confidence when we face death or when our loved ones face death. And then the fourth thing I want to mention just briefly The resurrection brings the believer into new life now. Verse Romans 6, 4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You know what he's saying? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and changes us and gives us new life. You and I, can only change ourselves so much. But when the Holy Spirit indwells us and that power changes us, we are filled with things like Galatians 5 talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's not us. That's not us trying to be better people. That's the Holy Spirit indwelling us and changing us. So the same power, the raised Jesus lives in us. So so how should we respond to these incredible truths? I I think The best thing we can do this morning is is just look at how these women responded in Matthew 28 and seek to respond in a similar way, because I think their response is a right response. And so let's just go back to Matthew 28 we read a moment ago. Look back at verse 8 with me, and we're going to see two things in verse 8, and then we'll see two things in verse 9. Look at verse 8. It says, The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angels' message. Because Jesus rose from the dead, they were filled with great joy. We see that in verse 8. And you and I should also be filled with great joy, right? That should be our response. Are you filled with great joy this morning when you come to worship the Lord and we're singing these songs? Justin, was there a lot of joy in people's faces? I won't put you on the spot. He's, He's nodding his head. You guys, you look joyful to him. Listen, I'll admit sometimes when I'm praying at home or when I'm reading my Bible or I'm worshiping the Lord here, I'm not always filled with the proper joy. Listen, we're all humans and we all have struggles, but what we should remember this morning, because Jesus really is alive, We can have real joy. I'm not talking about this fake joy, just putting on a happy face for people at church. I'm saying that even in tough circumstances, because we know this world is not all we have, because we know where we're going, because we know we're forgiven of our sins and we have eternal life. And as I said earlier, death is not the end, but it's the beginning. Then we can have great joy. Now, I'm not standing up here saying I have great joy all the time. What I'm saying is our proper response should be great joy. And the more we focus on Jesus and the good news of the gospel and believe in his resurrection, I think the more joy we'll have in our hearts. And then also in verse 8, we see them rushing to tell others. Come and see was followed by go and tell. And you and I this morning, in a sense, we're coming to see this morning. We're coming and we're remembering that Jesus is alive, but we're also called to go and tell, to tell other people this good news. Think about all the things you tell people during the week. Related to work, to your hobby, to just relationships. You know, how often do you recommend a restaurant or tell somebody about your favorite food? How many of y'all take pictures of your food and put it on social media, right? I don't know if I've ever done that. I I eat very boring, so no one would be interested. It's like pizza again. Jeff's having pizza, big, big surprise. But we we put all this stuff out there in our lives, all these words we use. Think about the people that live around you, your friends, your family, your coworkers, All the people you interact with, they desperately need hope. They desperately need Jesus. He is our only hope for this world. Think about it. This is not an exaggeration. If, If you don't believe in God and you think we're all just here by evolution and by accident, if that's what you believe, that we're just some cosmic accident, then you have no basis for morality, period. Right? You, you can't argue. We could go down this road and, and do philosophy forever, but I'm telling you, if you think we're all here as an accident and we're just a bunch of cells um, operating in some kind of cosmic accident, you can't argue for morality. You can't argue for any kind of hope. And when you die, that's it. But that's how a lot of people are living. People are living with no hope, no purpose. We have this good news to tell them, listen, God made you. You're made in God's image. You're not an accident. And God loved you enough to send his son to die for you. And you can be forgiven. You can have a relationship with God. You can know you're going to live in heaven forever. People can really know this. This isn't fantasy. It's not wishful thinking. It's truth. And it's all anchored in and based on the truth of the resurrection. You and I got to make it more of a priority to tell people the truth. Stop listening to the world's lies and believe the good news about Jesus. So they rush to tell others and so should we. And then in verse 9, we see two more things. Let's look at verse 9. They As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshiped him. Two things I want to highlight in verse 9. One is they ran to Jesus. That doesn't surprise you, does it? They thought he was dead. Now he's alive. They ran to him. Think about this. You and I, on a daily basis, we should be running to Jesus because he's alive. If we're honest, sometimes we treat Jesus like he's a historical figure. We don't relate to him any different than we do Julius Caesar or Abraham Lincoln. We think Well, he lived a long time ago, and he taught us some good lessons or whatever. No, he's alive, and you can talk to him now through prayer. He speaks to you through his word. They ran to him, and we should run to him too. In James 4.8, it says, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. You and I should be drawing near to our risen Savior, praying, reading our Bible, worshiping him enjoying him. Do you enjoy Jesus? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) It's one of the benefits of having younger ones in here. They'll just speak up. A lot of them spoke up in the previous service to this, but that's (laughs) not necessarily on target like that one, though. So we should run to Jesus. And then the the last point I want you to see, and it's here in verse 9, is that they worship Jesus. And you and I should, too. Where it says they worshiped him, that Greek word there, means speechless wonder and overwhelming adoration. Stay with me just for a second and think about this. When you are worshiping Jesus, whether it's in church like we are now or in your own personal time with him, reading your Bible and praying, are you experiencing speechless wonder, overwhelming adoration? Because if we really are interacting with Jesus and seeing him for who he really is, that's what we'll experience. I'm not talking about just seeking some emotional feeling. I'm talking about seeking Jesus. And then if the feelings come, great. But we should be in speechless wonder, overwhelming adoration. I'll confess to you, that's often not what I experience. But I'll tell you what, when I'll slow down and I'll really pray and I'll really spend time in my word and not rush through it, and God's word not rush through it, I experience a lot more of that because I'm experiencing a lot more Jesus and not just me going through some habit or ritual. They worship Jesus, and so should we. He is so worthy. I want to end this morning (coughs) with a, a quote from Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God. Um, If you haven't read much Tim Keller, I couldn't recommend him more. I read everything he writes. There's lots of other great Christian authors, too. Tim Keller is a a pastor in Manhattan, New York, does an awesome job of, of taking the truth of the gospel to very secular culture. And one of the things he says in The Reason for God, I thought it would be appropriate to wrap up this message with. Listen closely as we think about the truth of the resurrection this morning. He says, If Jesus rose from the dead then you have to accept all that he said. Again, because what we've said, if, if he really rose from the dead, it's proven everything he said is true. So he says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said, right? If he didn't rise from the dead, then he was lying. And why are we even gathered today, right? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching but whether or not he rose from the dead. I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus did rise from the dead and everything he said is true. And that should lead us to have great joy to tell others, to draw near to him, to worship him. I want to encourage you to do those things. I want to encourage you this morning to believe in Jesus for salvation if you haven't. In a group like this, I'm sure there are some of you that maybe you know about Jesus, but you have to say, I'm not really confess to him that I'm a sinner who can't save myself. I've not really fully believed in him and trusted in him to save me. I want to encourage you to do that today. You can do that today by staying after the service and talking with me or Justin or my wife Amy, one of us here. We'd love to talk with you. You can text that number that was up on the screen earlier, or you can te- it's in the weekly connection. You can just text that number and say, hey, I want to talk to somebody more about what it means to be a Christian. You can reach out to us during the week. But I want to encourage you today, to make sure you've believed and trusted in Jesus for salvation. But for those of us who have, I want to encourage you this morning, the resurrection's true, Jesus is alive. Let's make it a priority to spend time with him on a daily basis, together, together to worship him on Sundays, to be a part of life groups where we're going to dig into his word and be discipled and take this stuff seriously, to go out into the world and tell people about him on a daily basis. He is alive. That makes all the difference in the world. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that the resurrection is true and that he's alive today. Lord, I pray that each of us who already believes because the gospel's true, because the resurrection happened, because Jesus is alive, Lord, I pray we would live with joy, that we would tell others about him, that we would draw near, that we would worship. And Lord, for those this morning that are still trying to figure out if they want to believe, if they want to follow Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to you, help them believe and trust in Jesus alone for salvation, not in their own goodness, not in their own religion, Lord, in Jesus alone, because he rose from the dead, we know everything he said is true, including what he said in John fourteen six, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Lord, may none of us go to bed tonight without being sure that we have trusted in Jesus for salvation. And Lord, may all of us respond as these women did in Matthew 28. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.